Welcome to Success the Last, a podcast that honestly explores the complicated topic of success. I'm your host, Jared Siegel. I'm a partner at DeLap and leader of our wealth advisory practice. During each episode, we're going to talk to a business owner, entrepreneur, real estate investor, or industry thought leader about their own experiences, insights, and observations as it pertains to life, business, finances, and ultimately fulfillment. Candidly, it can be lonely at the top. Our desire is to use this podcast to connect you with the ideas and resources so you can be better equipped to make more predictable, profitable, and rewarding decisions as you juggle the competing priorities of life, business, and money. Keep in mind, this is a podcast. It's not meant to be a replacement for your CPA or financial advisor, so be sure to check with the appropriate professionals before implementing any of the ideas. Welcome back to another episode of Success That Lasts. Well, in our last episode, we had a wonderful conversation with Michael DeJoseph of Vanguard's Advisor Research Center. If you haven't heard that conversation yet, you should definitely check it out. But I wanted to tackle a few topics in greater detail and then unpack their implications. In the episode, we talked about Michael Mobison's book, The Success Equation, Untangling Skill and Luck in Business, Sports, and Investing. The basic thesis of the book is that much of what we experience in life is a result of both skill and luck. In most domains in life, skill and luck seem hopelessly entangled. Different levels of skill and varying degrees of good luck and bad luck are actually the realities that shape our life. Yet, few of us are able to accurately distinguish the impact or influence of both those categories. After a career of helping people make financial decisions, one thing is overwhelmingly clear to me. People are not calculators. They're storytellers. We're biologically wired to connect cause and effect, even if it's incorrect. And what's interesting is the more you want something to be true, the more likely you are to believe the story that overestimates the odds of it being true. Thus, combining stories that communicate cause and effect relationships is essentially decision dynamite. It will have an effect. Whether or not the effect is positive or negative will be determined by if the cause or effect conclusion that you drew is actually right or wrong. If you're unable to delineate the role of luck and skill, then you'll make inaccurate cause and effect relationships. If your cause and effect relationships are faulty, you're destined to make suboptimal decisions that will likely be painful, expensive, or combination of both. Let's look at how stories are used to help us make sense of the world that we live in. Stories have a beginning, and then there's an end, and there's also a cause. And in reality, we typically don't know what's really going on in real time, so we wait till we get to the end, then we begin to create a narrative to explain how the events unfolded the way that they did. We falsely believe that simply knowing the end can allow us to conclusively understand the cause of what happened. When we draw a faulty conclusion, the academics that have studied decision science would call it a post hoc fallacy. It basically means when somebody says something after this, therefore, because of this. Now, how does this actually relate to the whole skill and luck conversation? Well, most people would agree that life is full of events that are both influenced by skill and by luck. However, once we know how things turned out, These same people simply forget about luck altogether. We simply string together the events in a satisfying narrative, including a clear assumption of cause and effect. Let's push past the academic speak and the conceptual for a minute. How does this actually play out in the real world? Well, it's going to start with a narrative, maybe something like, we're now in a post-COVID world. Then we might appeal to a third party. For example, we're going to quote Kathy Wood, the chief investment officer of ARK Innovation, and we say, Betting your future on old-like companies is riskier than joining with an entrepreneur or with a startup. And to confirm our pre-existing narrative, we cite the performance of her fund and indicate it's up 149% in the year 2020 alone. 
Knowing the end of the story, that our fund is up 149% in one year, then we can assign cause. Well, clearly it must be because of her skill. Even Kathy Wood, the fund manager, explains it by saying, I love learning how the world works, but more importantly, how it's going to work. You can think big when you're thinking in macroeconomics. Now in that quote, she's implying an ability to accurately forecast the future. She primed the pump of the audience that the outcome of being up 149% was her skill and her ability to anticipate the future and think even bigger than anyone else. As I said earlier, the more you want something to be true, the more likely you are to believe the story that overestimates the odds of it being true. And that narrative is so attractive. It makes us feel better knowing that if we can't clearly see the future, then maybe we can hire somebody who can. The narrative that you can protect your wealth and grow it faster if only you could find the fortune-telling fund manager. However, is it an accurate cause and effect conclusion? If the most outcomes are driven by both luck and skill, why is there so little consideration for the role that luck played in that outcome? If you ask somebody to call a coin toss and by chance they got it right, is that luck or is that skill? Most people realize that calling a coin toss is 100% luck, 0% skill. Thus, if you increase the sample size by conducting more coin tosses, over time the results would generally trend towards 50%. We're naturally inclined to believe that a small sample size is representative of a larger sample size. In other words, we expect to see what we've already seen. Academics refer to this as induction, which is drawing a general conclusion from a specific observation. So let's expand the sample size of that Kathy Wood example to explore if the influence of luck or skill becomes easier to identify. So if in 2020, Kathy Wood was up 148%, how did she do in 2021? Well, her fund was down 25% while the S&P was up 27%. Well, to be fair, just over one year, maybe it was just bad luck. So let's further expand the sample size again. Let's look at the year-to-date performance of ARC in the year 2022. It's been a really tough year for all asset classes. The S&P is down 24% at the time of this recording, but Kathy Wood's fund is down 60%. So if we back up to January 1st of 2020, and we look at this all a little bit more holistically, if you put $10,000 into Kathy Wood's fund back in January of 2020, it would be worth $7,538 today. Conversely, that same $10,000 into an S&P 500 index would be worth $11,100. I don't mean to pick on Kathy Wood. I merely wanted to highlight a real-world story and how narratives are created, and we often inaccurately draw cause-and-effect relationships. I said earlier, people are not calculators, they're storytellers. And if that's true, maybe there's an opportunity to gain an advantage if we learned how to second-guess easy narratives and think more empirically. Well, let's tackle that earlier narrative about an ability to predict and anticipate the future being the cause of investment outperformance. How could we expand the sample size beyond just a single manager and unpack that question with more rigor? I might suggest a research paper published in the Journal of Finance authored by a Nobel laureate titled Luck Versus Skill. It was a collaboration with the University of Chicago, Dartmouth, California Institute of Technology, and UCLA. Now, this research has been cited over 2,100 times by other research papers. From an evidence perspective, it's really robust. The conclusion of the paper was less than 2% of people attempting to add value to the portfolio through predictions actually possess skill. Now, obviously, comparing stories, a dry, empirically rigorous study utilizing advanced statistical methods, loses too often to the other story that we want to be true, that certain people can skillfully predict the future and help us avoid 
financial losses. Now, speaking about predictions and forecasts for a minute, let me share something that I stumbled across recently from Howard Marks' memo that I thought was really insightful. He deconstructed what was really being assumed and asked with the simple question, has inflation peaked? We're not only asking about the supply and demand of over 94,000 different commodities, but we're also talking about manufacturing and services. We're also being asked about the path of future interest rate hikes by the Fed. We're asking about how long the strength of the dollar will be sustained as it's currently held down the price of U.S. imports. But there's more. We're at the same time implicitly asking how long the war in Ukraine will last, as the disruption caused since February by the Russian invasion has significantly exacerbated energy and food price inflation. We're also asking about whether oil-producing countries such as Saudi Arabia will respond to pleas from the Western governments to pump more crude oil. Now, any accurate inflation prediction would obviously account for labor. We should probably consider the latest COVID Omicron subvariant. It's been reported that it could be 35% more transmissible than its predecessor, which in turn was over 20% more transmissible than the original Omicron. What about the housing market? Rent inflation? The list goes on and on. I hope you're starting to get the point. Now, this next observation that Marx made was of particular interest to me. He demonstrated the arithmetic of forecasting and a predictions-based portfolio. So, for example, let's say that I think the economy will do A. And if A happens, interest rates should do B. And with interest rates at B, the stock market should do C. And under that environment, the best performing sector would be D. And thus, stock E should rise the most. And now as a predictions-based portfolio guy, you would then allocate the portfolio accordingly. But how likely is outcome E anyways? Remember, E's conditioned on A, B, C, and D. So for the sake of this example, let's pretend that you're a phenomenal forecaster who's right about two-thirds of the time. But if each of those individual five predictions has a 67% chance of being right, then there's only a 13% probability that all five will be correct and that the stock that you picked will actually perform as expected. This is why we regularly say that we prefer probabilistic thinking over stories. While an economic narrative might sound intelligent, making a financial decision that has a 13% chance of being right really isn't. Let's have a little bit of fun on this whole luck and skill continuum by turning to tennis. Ian Stewart is a mathematician. He demonstrated empirically that a tennis player that has a 53% chance of winning an individual point has almost an 85% chance of winning the match. Now, conversely, a player with about a 60% chance of winning an individual point has nearly a 100% chance of winning the match. And this is because in tennis, the ball is served a large number of times. And even a small advantage, when given enough times to exercise that skill, will nullify the effects of luck. I think that word picture translates incredibly well to how we should think about financial markets. Over a one-year period of time, the S&P has a 75% chance of being positive. However, if we expand the sample size from one year to just five, then the probability of a positive return jumps to 90%. Now, why is this? On the continuum of luck and skill, investing is a little bit of both. Over a shorter time frame, the influence that luck plays, both good and bad, is greater. However, as you expand the sample size, the influence that luck plays is diminished and outcomes become much more predictable. Deep down, we all know that you don't earn above-average results simply by following the crowd. And knowing that we're wired more for stories than we are for empirical evidence, I encourage you to be skeptical of the easy narrative. When it comes to your investments, stand on the shoulders of giants and utilize decades of academic research for a deeper understanding of what makes markets tick. Truthfully, 
there's never been a better time to be an investor than today. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode. So until then, be well.